Take a more view. It's always good to see all of you in person. I'm so thankful for all of you joining us online today, wherever you may be. Thank you for participating with us this morning. Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. We're in a series in 2 Corinthians. It's going to be a 12-week series. Last week I started out in chapter 5. Today I'm going to be in chapter 2. Beginning next week we're going to go back to the very beginning and for the next 10 weeks we're going to walk ourselves through the rest of 2 Corinthians. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 in your Bibles right now, my parents are here this morning, and usually when my mom and dad are here, one of them is either teaching, preaching, sharing in some capacity. This weekend, they're not doing anything but just hanging out with us. My dad has just completed 35 years as a preacher, over half of those in the same church. My mom has had her uh, counseling service that she's been running now for over 15 years, and they are here. Tomorrow is their 47th wedding anniversary, but they're not here for that because their youngest grandbaby turns 14 tomorrow. They are here for that. Uh, so mom, dad, we're so grateful and so glad you're here. Second Corinthians is a book. I talked about this last week. So much of Second Corinthians, all of Second Corinthians, a large part of it is Paul's defense of his ministry. He's under attack. So this is a church that he's visited, some would argue, six, seven times. He wrote many letters to them. He visited them a few times. He wrote around six to seven letters to them. It's a church he knew really well. 29 chapters in the New Testament are given to the churches in Corinth. And they have all kinds of problems that exist in that church. There are theological problems. There are problems about their worship services. There are sexual problems, social problems, spiritual problems. They have all kinds of problems. And here's the one interesting little nugget in First and Second Corinthians. You've got 29 chapters, and not one time does Paul mention elders or shepherds. Now, we have to assume there are elders in the churches in Corinth. There were elders there to help pastor the church, but Paul isn't writing to them as if he's saying, hey, you got a bunch of problems in the church, and elders just solved the problems, fixed the problems. What Paul does is he talks about all these problems in the churches in Corinth. He just wants to keep pointing people back to Christ. That's what you do. So as he's writing to them, what he's doing is he's just trying to paint image after image. He's trying to remind people of the power of the cross and what it does for community and to remind the entire church what their identity and what their mission is. So I want to take just a moment, right, even though First and Second Corinthians may not mention elders or shepherds or overseers, that in this church we have 18 of them. And there was a shift in this church around 20 years ago to kind of move our elders from being like a board or CEOs to being shepherds who pastor the flock. So the way our shepherding groups are set up is not just that our shepherds are here uh, to, sh uh, to, to uh, help make decisions or just to be there when you were in need of having them pray over you, but they are pursuing you, like reaching out. How can they pastor you, nurture you, pray for you? How can they take a proactive approach in your life? And one of the benefits, I would argue, one of the benefits of placing membership or becoming a member of the church, of this church, is that we place you in a shepherding group where a shepherd is looking over your family and praying for you constantly. This last Monday night, we had an elders meeting, a, a leadership meeting. We were here in the room. We met for about an hour and a half, two hours, and then we came in here where your shepherds and ministers spread out over this room to pray over you and specifically to pray over the children in their shepherding groups. It was a beautiful scene for me to open my eyes and see the leaders committing themselves to pray. So just for a moment, if you're online, it may be hard for you to engage in this moment. If you're listening to a podcast, it may be hard, this podcast, it may be hard for you to engage. But can I have our elders and their spouses, will you stand where you are just for a moment? 
And if you are close to them, will you just place a hand on their shoulder, uh, place a hand on them, and I just want to pray a blessing over these people and all they are doing for us in the life of this church. Teenagers, somebody's got to help out the caskies back there, all right? We, we can't leave them all by themselves. Matt, I got you. Miranda, I got you, all right? Can we close our eyes and let's pray? God, I thank you for these people, and here's the prayer I pray over our leaders almost every day of the week, and I'm going to pray it right now, is God, I pray for you to fill them with joy and for you to protect their joy. I pray, God, that you will help them to have prayer lives that is not just focused on those in their shepherding groups, but prayer lives where they are allowing their own hearts to be cultivated by you. That it's not just praying for other people to come to love you more, it's that they will know how loved they are by you. And, and their love, the love that you have to give them is not based on their effort, it's not based on their success as leaders, it's, it's, it's because of Christ and what you have done for them. I pray you give them vision, courage, boldness. I pray, God, for their families, for spouses and children and grandchildren, wherever they are right now in this moment, that you hold them and draw them close to Jesus. And God, I thank you that for the leaders in this church, for the shepherds you have given us, they're not just looking for problems to fix. They're wanting to help point people to Christ and all they do. So just increase that, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated where you are. Last, uh, last uh, Monday, we came in this room and we started praying. Last Sunday night, we had a worship service here, The Awakening, and around 60 people turned in prayer request cards. And I just want to read to you a few of these cards. Our prayers last week, is one, uh, we have one prayer station that was, where have you seen God at work in your life? And the other was, where do you desire to see God? And I just want to read a few of these to you. And I'm, I'm not going to name names. I don't know who some of these cards came from. I just want to bless you with this. One person wrote, I see God and the relationships that I have formed through my life group, and I know that I can count on them for anything and that I have counted on them for, uh, for everything, especially as I go through hard moments in my life. One person said this, I saw God in a sports bar on a Saturday night with football on one TV and baseball on the other. The speakers in the bar began to play a Lauren Daigle song. For those of you who may not know, she's a Christian artist, well-known Christian artist. I can see no reason for this, but that God was acknowledging me as I struggled with the private pain right after a long, tearful phone call. Somehow God heard me and let me know he was hurting too. One of our teenagers wrote this, I've seen God in school with the teachers and students. Another one of our teenagers said this, I have seen God through this church. It has showed me how to pour my life out to God. Another one of our students said, I've seen God in our youth group as they've grown and bonded and healed over the past year and summer. One person said this, I've seen God's presence through his power releasing me from my drug addiction and releasing me into the family at Sycamore View where I've been loved and supported. He brought me out of darkness into his light. And one person wrote this, today I decided to hug a friend during communion and she held on a little tighter than normal. And afterwards, her husband told me how she said to him, I wish someone would hug me. And I have, a whole, I have over 60 of them up here. Just these little moments that people are acknowledging how they've seen God and where they wanna see God. So five words that come from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 is this. And I want you to write them down. If you're taking any notes or highlighting things in your Bible, five words. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. 
So 2 Corinthians 2.14, it starts out with those five words. Now, I know some of you, like in the English classes, you were taught, don't you start, don't you start sentences with words like but or so or and, but here it is, like Paul's breaking one of those rules, right? But thanks be to God. So if you had to argue that these five words become a prayer you pray every day, if you had to argue that this prayer would matter more for your life, praying it in the morning or praying it late in the evening at the end of the day, which one would you argue for? And I want you to hold on to this, but thanks be to God, we're going to come back to it in just a moment, all right? In 2 Corinthians, you got communication issues between Paul and the church. A lot of communication issues. Where, where Paul is wrestling, like, do I want to go and talk to them in person, or do I just want to write a letter to convey my thoughts? And where the church, like, do they want to see Paul in person, or do they want to just receive a letter? So a lot of different communication issues. How many of you have some communication issues in your life? Just a show of hands. So here, like, would you rather talk on the phone to somebody or text somebody when it comes to communication? How many of you would rather talk on the phone? And when I say talk on the phone, I'm not talking about speakerphone, FaceTime, Zoom. I'm talking about you put a phone up to your ear to talk to somebody, not speakerphone. Every time you do this in public, when you, you're one of these people who walk around on speakerphone, an angel loses its wings, I'm telling you, all right? <laughs> Quit doing it, all right? We don't need to hear your conversation on the bread aisle at Kroger as you're talking to Karen or Pookie. We don't need to know, all right? Put the phone up to your ear. So some of you, how many of you would say, I prefer to text, don't make that right? You're a how many of you would say, please do not make me talk on the phone ever, ever? I, some of you are that way, all right? Communication has changed and evolved over the years. Years ago, and let me walk you through just a few images. I mean, you had telegrams. This is the way people communicated for years. You wrote on a telegram, you went to the post office. It would take days for the telegram to arrive, and then there's no guarantee that somebody's going to read it and then send you a telegram right back. But this is part of how you would communicate years ago. And then decades ago, there was the invention of the phone. And the image I'm placing in front of you, I know this isn't an ancient phone, but for some of our students, you're probably thinking it's ancient. Like some of us were raised with a phone on a cord. You couldn't multitask, it was hard to multitask. Most of these phones, they weren't in the living room, they were in the hallway or in the kitchen. It was hard to hold this phone to your ear and do laundry or do dishes. So it was hard. you were held captive, you were held hostage in a little 10 foot spot where you had to talk on the phone. Letters are one of the oldest forms of communication. I mean, this has gone on for thousands of years where you write a letter and you send it to somebody. I mean, I started trying to do this more in my life a few years ago when I started talking to friends and reading research and even hearing about the dopamine that is released when you send a letter to somebody and they open the envelope and reach in and pull something out where there are a few sentences acknowledging them like a value. So I've started trying to do this more, but where I really think about letters is for some of you like a Terry Miller who were in the military years ago before we had cell phones and easy ways to communicate no matter where we are in the world, that you would send a letter to your loved ones and then it may take days or weeks to receive a letter, but this is how you would respond to people you loved all over the world. Some of us remember when the cordless phones came out. And when this happened, we no longer were held hostage by that cord. I mean, this was, this was a game changer. Some of us thought technology will never get better than this. I guess we have peaked, like this is it. Because now you could pace around the house and you could test how far can I really go with this cordless phone? Can I go all the way to the porch, all the way to the sidewalk? It was a game changer. And then we had the internet. How many of you remember dial up internet? How many of you, right? 
It would make that noise for two minutes trying to connect where you would wake up the whole house so the whole house knew that you were now online. But now you didn't just have to send letters to communicate or call someone. There were email and things like this that were made available. And then you had, of course, the cell phone, which now you can Zoom, you can FaceTime, you can talk on the phone, you can multitask. This right here provides so many different ways for you to communicate. Now, when cell phones first came out, some of us remember, like you had, you had minute plans where you didn't want to go over your minutes in a month or you had to pay extra. So my brother, for years, like he had a minute plan. He was, he was just so, he didn't want to spend extra money. So every conversation you had with him on the phone had to be 59 seconds or less. Because if this was the case, you, didn't, you weren't charged for a minute. So he gave you 59 seconds to help have a conversation and help him know what you're going to talk about. He would give you a warning around 50 seconds. So you're, you're down to nine. He would hang up on you. He wouldn't even say bye. He would hang up at 59. Now, maybe you could call him back and continue the conversation, but this is just how he would roll. How many of you in your life have somebody, you call them and you get nothing, you text them, you get a response? You know what I'm saying? There are times that we're talking to our two teenage boys where we will sit around a table where we try to have meals as much as possible and a deep conversation may not happen and then they end up texting you questions about a deep conversation. And there were times I got so frustrated by this, but now I'm like, I, if, you, if you're ready for a conversation, I will take whatever form of communication you have to give. We'll do it. And then there are times you're communicating with people, and this right here pops up. Uh, go, back, go to the one before that real quick. You get the bubbles, and you watch the bubbles for a few minutes, waiting for the response. And all you get is the okay or the yep or something like this. The other day, Noah texted Casey and I, and you can go to this next slide right here. Noah texted us. He was at school, and it said this. I lost a bet today. I'm buying Brady a drink. And which my response was, with your money or with my money. And which he took five minutes to write out that response with all these M's, but apparently didn't take five minutes to think about how he's spending daddy's money. Now, as you can see, there was no response to this text message because I got in the car and I'm driving down to his school where I need to pull him out of class and have a little conversation. Where Casey calls me on the phone and was like, are you in the car? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, why don't you start doing those breathing exercises your mom taught you four seconds in, hold your breath for four seconds, four seconds out, release your breath. And I'm like, I'm done with the 16 second therapy, all right? If he's going to do this, like, buy, look, don't make bets with my money. Because one thing my kids need to understand right now, in the global economy, Casey and I are rich. Most of us in this room are. But what my kids need to understand is the four of us aren't rich. Casey and I are rich. Not, <laughs> we, we are not wealthy. We are wealthy. Don't you make bets with my money, man. So for Paul in 2 Corinthians, you've got this communication issue about is it in person? Is it, uh, do I write letters? And then the church is like, like, they're using this as a way to almost attack Paul's ministry. Like, man, you told us there are times you're going to come visit us and you don't. You tell us you're going to come visit us, but then you send a letter. You send a letter and say you're going to come, but then you end up sending another letter. So they're like, oh, there's just a lot of communication issues. And then you get this. Check this out, 2 Corinthians. I just want to read this, and as I read it, I just want, I want you to feel this. That here's Paul, who loves this church and has loved them for years. 
And now they are attacking his authority and his ministry. And there's questions about communication and writing all your letters or coming in person. And Paul writes this. Just I want you to feel what he's writing. He says, I call God as my witness. And I stake my life on it. That it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made it in my mind, made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you who I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. And listen to this in verse 4. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Everything Paul does, he wants to point people back to Christ. And even in 2 Corinthians, where you get these moments where where Paul is defending his ministry, the way he does it is, I'm going to defend my ministry, but I'm going to place in front of you image after image, illustration after illustration, metaphor after metaphor of reminding the church of who we are in Christ. Let's not forget our mission, no matter what. This is what Paul does. He writes them and just is reminding them, this is who we are in Christ. So I'm going to place in front of you three images this morning, straight from 2 Corinthians Three metaphors, three images, three illustrations Paul uses. And the first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So all three of these are going to be found from verse 12 all the way to verse 15. Just a few verses. And these are two verses, and hopefully you see them on the screen right now. If you're watching online, hopefully you see them in, in the box pop up right now. And I wish I had an entire sermon to unpack the two verses I'm about to read to you, but I don't. I'm going to do this in a, like, almost like a footnote. But here's what Paul writes, chapter 2, 12 and 13. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. And let me stop right there. Because I think the Corinthians got upset about things like this. And the way Paul writes it is there was an open door for him that he walked through. And he walked through the open door and he got in that room and there was a restless spirit in him. So he went back through the open door that God had opened for him. And I think there are people like questioning Paul on this. Like here you are talking about an open door, but you sound so indecisive because you walk through the door, but then you go back out. And here's where I want to be so careful because I wish I had an entire sermon just to talk to you. Maybe I need to come back to this about just what it means to discern the will of God and follow the will of God. But there are times where God may open a door for you that you step through and then you're going to be in it for a season and then you step out of it. Every door you walk through that God has opened for you doesn't mean God shuts the door behind you and it becomes just this permanent room or mission you were a part of. There may be seasons that you walk through an open door and experience something for a little bit and then walk back through the door God opened for you. And why I want to be careful with this is I don't want people to think that the moment your marriage goes bad, like you step out the door or like like things like that in your life. Like, a life of discerning the will of God is it's an everyday part of who we are with God and just because you walk through an open door you may get through it and then God like releases you from why he sent you through the open door 
And for the people in Corinth, it's like they hear something like this and they're like, Paul, you're indecisive. Like apparently you're messing up what it means to follow the will of God. And if you read the two verses, Paul, it's like I'm following the will of God through it all. I followed him there and then there was this restlessness in me. So I I listened to the restlessness and then I, I followed God back through that same door into a new mission. I hope something may just hit you today, land on you in those two verses, help you as you discern and process some of your life as you go about life. Now, but thanks be to God, these five words, I want to come back to this. And this is not one of the three images, but it sets the stage for image number two and three. And but thanks be to God, and I can make an argument that this needs to be how you end every day of your life. It's having some kind of prayer, but thanks be to God, where you reflect. And, and some people I know, like gratitude journals, sounds so cheesy for you, but there's some kind of gratitude or practice of reflection in your life can be so good because it helps us to acknowledge what God has been doing, or ways that God may have moved in a day and we weren't even aware of it at the time. So I think this is a great way for us to end our day, to have some, even if you are laying down by your bed, you're brushing your teeth at night, for you to have some moment of just, okay, but thanks be to God. But I also want to argue that I think this is a way to begin every day. But thanks be to God. To remind yourself today, I want to live from a posture of gratitude, acknowledging right now as I begin my day that I believe God's in this. Now, for scholars and theologians, chapter 2, verse 14, these five words right here, it drives them nuts. Because it doesn't sound like a continuation of a thought that Paul already had. And for some, some would argue that chapter 2, verse 14, all the way through chapter 7, is all one letter that was separated from the rest of 2 Corinthians. So these five words right here can throw them off. I just want to make an argument. It sounds like a great transitional phrase for Paul. It's a great way to begin a thought. It's a great way to end a thought. And for you, it can be a great way to end a day. And it needs to be a way you begin your day. We need to be people who walk with gratitude. The second image is this. And it's a continuation of this verse. And it's about triumphal procession. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So what Paul's doing here is he's drawing from an image from victory from Roman military uh, campaigns. Now, some would even argue (laughs) that you didn't throw a parade like this unless in war you killed over 5,000 enemies. And then you would have a parade like this. So this is like a big deal. And everybody would come out, line the streets, and then you would have your officials and you know, your, your Roman officers who would lead the parade, and you would also have captives, and you would have all the booty, the possessions that you, you gathered from where it is that there was war, and there would be this huge, long, triumphal procession. And the way Paul paints the image is, it's not just a matter of you like leading your way through life. The triumphal procession is one in which we are led not just led, the image he uses is led as captives to Christ. But it's this image of victory. The only other place you have this word triumphal or triumph show up in the Bible in the New Testament is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, which I do not have on the screen. But it's an image there where Paul is talking about what Jesus did on the cross. It's Christus victor, Christ the victor, that on the cross Jesus won a victory. There is this triumphal procession that we are a part of. And then the last image Paul uses is a continuation of this thought right here. Is that 
For, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. This aroma. You remember when COVID first hit? Like we'd wake up in the morning and you may feel a little itch in your throat, but you didn't go take your, your, you didn't go take your temperature first. You did a smell check. Did any of you do this? It's like, I'm gonna, I need to smell the candle. I need, where's something else I can smell? The dryer sheets or your own armpit, just see deodorant or something, like whatever it might, like I just, just smell check. And then that would almost like lead you to decide if you wanna take your temperature or not. I want you to think about a triumphal procession and the smell of it. Because on one hand, you have soldiers returning from war. I don't know if they had showered. You have captives who, prisoners that are in this triumphal procession So there had to be a smell of war, yet we also know that what they would do is they would burn a lot of incense in these parades. And it was an incense that was supposed to represent victory. So this aroma would just permeate the streets of wherever it is that they were leading these triumphal processions throughout the Roman Empire. There was this smell of victory. And church, everywhere you live and everywhere you go with Christ, there is an aroma that spreads It spreads in you and through you. And I've seen it, and I've acknowledged it, and I thank God for it. There have been days I've been invited to walk hallways at St. Jude, and there have been times I've met with members of this church like Jonathan Hardy for lunch at St. Jude and reminded that people like him and others of you who work in places like that, everywhere you go, you are spreading the aroma of Christ. Dan Butler, we've done a number of lunches, and I've walked through some facilities he, he has helped create at FedEx. And I've seen Dan interact with a number of employees. And in places like that, I'm reminded that through Dan, Jesus is spreading the aroma of Christ. I've been in offices and I've walked hallways at Arlington High School and Kingsbury Middle School and Kingsbury High School and Shelby Oaks and Harding Academy and with Renee Curley at Cordova multiple times where she's invited me into her classroom where the students aren't there but to pray over every single seat in her classroom. And I'm reminded that in these hallways and in these offices and in these places, many of you are in them spreading the aroma of Christ. I remember when Chris Johnson the job he had prior to the one he currently has, he was an auto mechanic. He ran a shop just off Highway 64. And when I would go for an oil change or tire rotations or whatever it may be, I would see how Chris interacted and treated all of his employees and the people who brought their vehicles to him and in and through people like Chris and places like that, they are spreading the aroma of Christ. I've been in hospitals where I've seen Callie Lillard and Becky Fowler, and I've seen Brooke Gillow and a number of others of you who live in those hallways and in those rooms taking care of people of all ages. And through you, Jesus is spreading the aroma of Christ. I've seen one of my good buddies, Brad, who's now the general manager at Landers, and the way he treats employees and wants that to be a hub where the kingdom of God is doing something every single day. And through people like Brad, God is spreading the aroma of Christ. I remember when Melita Pitts worked at Wendy's over there close to Ikea. And I would go into Wendy's to get me a Baconator after church on Sundays, and there would be Melita taking my order and taking other orders. But for Melita, it wasn't just a job of handing people burgers. It was a way for her to spread the aroma of Christ. 
And for Casey and I, we went to Dr. Tim Hacker was our dentist, and now we see Dr. Micah and see Tiffany at the front desk and Melanie, who's been cleaning our teeth for over 50, or around 15 years. And to see in those offices and in those spaces, the way y'all treat people and cultivate an environment there, through that office, you were spreading the aroma of Christ. And aroma doesn't spread because we try to work hard for it or because we want to try to make good decisions in life. Aroma spreads because we live with a posture of victory in Christ. That's it. Live from a place of victory. Declare every morning in Christ we're victorious and the aroma of Christ permeates the world. So today as we go to the table, this image right here, if you'll stay on that screen right there, Renee, verses 14 and 15. And I just want that to sit on the screen if you need something to reflect on. And this morning, Wayne Ray, Wayne Ray is going to be up here to my right and I'll be to my left. Lenora and Jenna are prayer leaders and in the back, I think Matt Cat, or uh, Lance Holly is going to be back there to receive you. And there is no greater privilege our elders and our prayer leaders have on Sundays like this than to pray for you. So if there's any area of your life you're in need of a prayer or a blessing of victory, will you give us a chance this morning to pray for you? And this morning as you make your way to a table, will you be reminded that as people walk over each other in pews or you're walking to a table or from a table, when you give that hug or you give that fist bump or just an acknowledgement that someone is there, it may be that hug that someone asked for, asked God for on the way to church this morning. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. For this morning, God, we give you thanks in and through Jesus for all you have done. And for the victory that you lead us in, may we be faithful followers in it this morning. God, uh, as captives of your army, lead us. And God, um, I pray if there are place, where there are places in our lives that we, it may feel more like loss than victory or like losses of stacked. Come with your power to remind us of the victory we have in Christ. A battle has already been won and help us to live like it. And God, I pray that in and through this church, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our families, will you spread the aroma that blesses the world. Through Christ we pray.